Hello and welcome to the Spiritual School Bus. I'm Mandy Hecht. I'm an ordained minister with the Canadian Baptist of Western Canada, and I drive a school bus. In Baptist churches and on the bus, it seems like everyone wants to sit in the back. You, however, are invited to take a front row seat on the Spiritual School Bus. This week's scripture reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-18. through 18. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Sometimes life throws you a curveball and sometimes it opens up a sinkhole. When we find ourselves falling down to the bottom or stumbling around inside our own sinkhole, we might feel like there are a million and one reasons to quit. The world feels stacked against you. The headlines are depressing each and every day. Sometimes it feels like nothing is ever going to change in the world, in our lives, or in the lives of the people we love. And just when we think that the world might have made progress, or we as people might have made some progress, we find ourselves facing familiar prejudices, rehashing old arguments we thought we'd gotten beyond, or revisiting sins that we thought we'd left in the rearview mirror. We probably all know that life should not go back to normal after the pandemic, because normal, as it turns out, was not all that good for some people. And yet we're anxious about what the future holds, whether that's the future in a few years, or just the future in a couple weeks when schools reopen? Have you ever wondered where you can go to resign? Why can't we just take a nap for a few years and wake up on the other side of our problems? Every day, and sometimes multiple times a day, we may get to the point where we just feel like we want to quit, throw up our hands, lay down, and never give up. 
So how do we keep going when the world just sometimes feels so hopeless? Well, Paul himself, who penned this letter to the church in Corinth, had his own experience like this, where life opened up a sinkhole beneath him. It got so bad that as he writes to this church in chapter 1, he even despaired of life itself. How did Paul keep going when life got so tough and so dark that it felt even like, again, as he put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that he'd received the death sentence? This happens to be one of the things he writes about to this church in a letter that he penned to help restore a relationship with the church that he founded and people that he loved and shepherded in the city of Corinth. And twice in chapter 4, which we read today, once near the beginning and once near the end, Paul writes this particular phrase to them. We do these things so we will not lose heart. Other translations offer up that we faint not, that we do not become discouraged, that we do not lose our motivation, that we do not give up, or even that we do not throw up our hands and walk off the job. So that almost is a theme of this particular chapter. So Paul, let's have it. Give us some reasons why, when the going gets tough, we should not just quit in discouragement. Reason number one. The first reason that you should not give up and that we should not give up is because we are all still standing. Well, obviously, you're sitting right now, but your record at this point of surviving bad days and difficult times and hard seasons and the terrible twos and disappointments and hurts and despairs and injuries and illnesses and trips to the ER and times when you just want to cry your eyes out, your track record of surviving those days, at least up until this point, is 100%. You are still here. You are drawing breath. You still opened your eyes this morning. Here's what Paul has to say, and they were the words of the song we just heard. We are under all kinds of pressure, but we are not crushed completely. We are at a loss, but we're not at our wit's end. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are cast down, but not destroyed. Even in the very worst times or the very hardest days or the very darkest nights, even then we know that all is not lost. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright points out that when Paul wrote those words, what he was doing was writing them looking backward on the moment that he was experiencing those things. In the moment when those bad things were happening to him, he did, in fact, feel crushed completely. He did feel like he was at its wit's end. He did feel abandoned. He felt destroyed. However, when he looked back on it, he realized that even though he felt that way in the moment, that wasn't the actual reality. Things were bad, but he moved on. And I want to pick, or pick on one particular word pairing here, the word abandoned or forsaken there. That was probably a very, re very real reality for Paul. He must have felt abandoned at various times in his life and his ministry. At one point, the book of Acts tells us that he and Barnabas and John Mark were traveling together and John Mark decided to suddenly leave them and go back to Jerusalem. And in fact, Paul felt so abandoned by that particular incident that when John Mark wants to join them the next time, he and Barnabas have such a sharp disagreement with each other that they part ways, in fact, never minister together again. So Paul knew what it was like to lose friends and co-workers. In the letter to 2 Timothy, Paul also writes this, Demas, because he loved the world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Timothy to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. 
Sometimes ministry was lonely for Paul, not just because of his enemies, and he had plenty of those, but because often his friends and co-workers were needed somewhere else if they didn't just walk off the job entirely, which some of them did. And yet as much as he might have felt cause to feel, had cause to feel abandoned, he looks back on that, and while he knows that persecution is still real, he also realizes that he wasn't actually abandoned. And one of God's great promises throughout Scripture is this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. You can find that one starting back in Deuteronomy, but it flows throughout the rest of Scripture. And so somehow and some way, after going through very difficult times and difficult seasons, Paul discovers that he's still here on this earth, not actually crushed, not actually at its wit's end, not actually abandoned. He has not actually been destroyed. And so he cannot bring himself to give up, and nor can he advise anyone else to do so. We do not lose heart. We do not become discouraged or lose our motivation because somehow and some way we are still here. Do not lose heart. Reason number two, because against all odds, we are chosen by God. I know, I know, it doesn't seem very logical to me, and it never has, that the God of the universe, who can speak worlds into existence, would choose to write the story that God is always writing, using such crooked pencils as Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, and Isaac and Rebekah and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah, that he would use the likes of Jacob and Tamar, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, David and Bathsheba, Michal and Solomon, that God would choose such ordinary people like Mary and Joseph, or Peter, or the sons of thunder, James and John, or Mary Magdalene, to walk alongside Jesus and take God's messages to the ends of the earth. And I've never quite figured out how God chooses to use ordinary, cracked people like me. And then there's Paul himself. Here's how Frederick Beekner writes about Paul. He says, Paul was not much to look at, bald-headed, bow-legged, strongly built, a man small in size with meeting eyebrows and a rather large nose. Years after death, that's the way the apocryphal book of the Acts of Paul and Thecla describes him. And Paul himself quotes somebody who has actually seen him. In fact, in the very letter we're quoting ourselves, 2 Corinthians, this person says his letters are strong, but his bodily presence is weak. It was no wonder. He was also sick on and off all his life and speaks of a thorn in the flesh that God gave him to keep him from being too elated. The wonder of it all is that he was actually even able to get around sometimes. And nobody's sure whether he ever got to Spain the way he planned or not. But either before he went or soon after he got back, he had his final run-in with the authorities. And the story is that they took him to a spot about three miles outside of Rome. And right there on the road, where he'd spent most of his life, including what was in a way the beginning of his life, they lopped off his head. At the end of the less than flattering description of his personal appearance, the Acts of Paul and Thecla says this, At times he looked like a man and at times he had the face of an angel. If there is a God in heaven, this is Beekner writing, even at, his black, as even at his blackest moments, Paul never doubted there was. Then the bald-headed and bow-legged as he was, with those eyebrows that met and the oversized nose, it was with angel eyes that he exchanged his long last glance with his executioners. So Paul himself was unimpressive to look at, afflicted and persecuted, and probably he could not comprehend most days why God would pluck someone who had hunted down and murdered followers of Jesus to be the one who took the message of Jesus Christ 
to Gentiles throughout the rest of the world. And yet God is always choosing those who the world might peg as the ones most likely to get it wrong or to be discounted or to wallow in obscurity or to mess it all up. They are the ones who take the message of Jesus Christ to the lost and broken world. And that's why Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthenware pots or jars of clay so that the extraordinary quality of the power may belong to God and not to us. So God always puts into these utterly ordinary, even ubiquitous vessels, the treasure of knowing Jesus. Clay pots are chipped, cracked, broken. They had to be replaced all the time. And yet, God places God's own glory in them, and on these, God writes God's own story. So some days or weeks or months or even seasons in our lives, we may feel more keenly the ways that we are all cracked, that we are ordinary, that we can be or have been shattered. But it is always these weak vessels that God uses to reach out and to love this hurting world. So do not lose heart. Reason number three, we do not give up because the God of this age has not given up, as Paul puts it in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What's happening there is that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, he writes, so that they won't see the light of the gospel of the glory of the Messiah, who is God's image. Now that phrase, God of this age or God of this world, is a rather unique term. Paul only uses it one time in the New Testament, and that's here. But it alludes to the fact that as he writes other places, there are forces in this world that are not good, and they are not of God. And these evil things blind people in situations and institutions and power structures. Honestly, it doesn't take us long to pick them out once we start looking for them. But sometimes they seem just hidden in plain sight, so it takes time to recognize that they are not of God and they are not good. You can think of any kind of ism, racism, sexism, ableism, ageism, anything else that's baked into the systems of how the world operates and even becomes for us a lens through which we see the world when we're not even aware of it. One writer puts, us, puts it this way, the false god is actively hindering the Lord's light from shining in a dark world. And so because the god of this age has not given up, has not stopped taking human casualties, has built strongholds to keep God's kingdom from coming on earth as it does in heaven, is actively hindering the Lord's light from shining in a dark world, we don't give up either until God's light shines in every corner of the world. We cannot lose heart. Reason number four. We do not despair because what is happening on the outside is not the only reality there is. Here's how Paul says it. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making life new, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. There are, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration he has prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. There's more here going on than meets the eye. Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart, on the inside not a day goes by without God's unfolding grace. I heard an interesting story this week about a woman who is relatively famous and she got caught for driving under the influence of alcohol. And at first she thought as they arrested her and put her in a jail cell that it would just go away. And then as she sat there a little longer, she looked around at the other women around her 
who occupied the jail cell with her, and she thought, well, I'm not like those women. And then as she began to sober up in that jail cell, she realized that she was, in fact, no different and no better than those women. She was one of them, and she was devastated. This was the very worst thing she said that ever could have happened to her. And because she's a famous person, negative press was all over it, and she knew that outlets all over the world would carry this story of how she'd been arrested for drinking and driving. And people would finally see her for who she was. But a couple of things happened out of this very worst thing that ever happened to her. The first one, she said, is the realization she made as she was in that jail cell. She finally realized that she was there because she deserved to be there. And that gave her the push that she needed to get into rehab and to become sober. And the second was this. Throughout the entire interview, she talked about how she struggled all of her life to get her mother's love and attention. And when she was finally able to be released from the jail cell on bail, she called her mother. And her mother, in that moment, that darkest moment of her life, her mother said, I love you, and I know that you will make this right because that's what you always do. So she realized, even in her very worst moment, that her mother actually loved her and was proud of who she was. At the end of her story, she said that when she sobered up in that jail cell, it wasn't, in fact, the worst thing, but it was the best thing that could have happened to her because she was able, finally, to get real about her life and to enter uh, rehab to work on her sobriety and to know, finally, that her mother loved her. So what happens on the outside is not the only story there is. It might look like things are falling apart on us, but actually, maybe they're coming together. Sometimes when we see injustice and problems in the world, it can galvanize us to do something about them. Going through tough times sometimes makes us far more able to see other people who are going through difficult times too and to lend them a helping hand. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom tells a story about praying with her sister in the overcrowded barracks. Corrie Ten Boom and her sister were sent uh, to prison camps because they were harboring Jews in the Second World War. And her sister, having just read the Bible, verse that says we are to give thanks in every circumstance, insisted in their prayers that they thank God for everything, even though they were in a concentration camp. But her sister praised God that they were able to be there together. And they praised God that the fact that they were overcrowded in their bunks meant that every time they talked about Jesus, more people would hear it. And then her sister thanked God for the fleas. And Corey Tim Boom writes her incredulous response. There's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Later on, however, they discovered the answer to something that had mystified them about their life in this terrible place. When they were in their barracks, the guards always left them alone, and they were able to hold their church services undisturbed. And one day, Tamboom walked into the barracks, and her sister was standing there with this triumphant look on her face, and she asked her sister about it. And her sister said, you know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, well, I found out. That afternoon, she said there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, neither would the guards. And you know why? Her sister Betsy couldn't keep the triumph off her, out of her voice. Because of the fleas. That's what she said, that place is crawling with fleas. So sometimes... The worst thing to ever happen to us becomes the very best thing that could have happened to us. And sometimes that thing that we were certain we could never, ever be thankful for, something that causes us to rejoice. 
God is making us all things new, and every day God is unfolding grace before our eyes. And so even though things seem awful on the outside, we do not give up and we do not lose heart because God is always up to something, even if we can't tell what it is right now. And finally, reason number five. We don't give up because we've seen Jesus. Paul writes this, Remember, our message is not about ourselves. We're proclaiming Jesus Christ the Master. We are all his messengers, errand runners for Jesus and for you. It started when God said, Light up the darkness, and our lives filled up with light as we saw and understood the grace of God in the face of Christ, all bright and beautiful. So we've seen Jesus. And when we've seen Jesus, we understand the nature of God. Now, although those verses are brief and dense, they're packed with meaning. N.T. Wright points out that Paul's message has often been boiled down to simply this. This is how you get to heaven, or this is how to have peace in your heart. But Paul's message is actually much simpler than that. From beginning to end, Paul's message and the gospel that Paul preaches points to Jesus. Jesus is the center of all things. And as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wright says that when the light of the gospel strikes the believer, we see the face of Jesus. And in the face of Jesus, we see the gaze of God's love. We see God's new creation in Jesus. And by God's spirit, that new creation becomes in our hearts as well. So we have seen Jesus. The light of his face has shone on us. We know that God loves the entire world through Jesus. Through Jesus, we see how God heals the broken and cares about the poor and the underdog, how God extends mercy and showers us with grace. And we too, of course, have seen the supreme love of God in the way that Jesus went to the cross to die with us and for us and instead of us. And because we've seen Jesus the Messiah, Wright says we do not lose heart. Because we too live in troubled times, because we too rely on the mercy of God, because we too trust the powerful working of new creation, because we too minister in between the present and the age to come, through darkness if need be, led on by the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus the Messiah. And so Paul says we do not lose heart. We do not faint or become discouraged or lose our motivation or give up or throw up our hands and walk off the job because we've seen the light of Jesus, because what is going on on the outside is not the only reality there is, because the God of this age does not give up, and so neither do we, because against all odds we are chosen by God to be God's hands and feet in the world and to bear God's light to this world's darkness. And because you're still standing, after everything that life has thrown you up to this point, do not lose heart. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord our God, we thank you so much for the encouragement that you give us through knowing Jesus as Messiah and Lord and King. We thank you that you have sustained us in our lives this far. We thank you for the wonderful privilege it is to be chosen, as ordinary and flawed and as fragile as we are, to be the ones to carry the treasure of your light and love to this world. And we thank you that you are working your grace in any and every situation, and that what appears to be going on on the outside is not the only reality there is. 
And so we pray that you would renew us day by day by your spirit, that you would help us not to give up and not lose heart. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been the Spiritual School Bus. Thank you for listening. For more Spiritual School Bus, visit www.pastormandy.com. This recording is copyright 2020 by Mandy Hecht and may only be copied or redistributed by express written permission. Thank you and have a blessed week. As you go this week, remember that by the goodness of God you were born. Remember that in the mercy of Jesus Christ you have been redeemed. Remember that God walks with you every day to comfort you, strengthen you, and guide you. He promised he would. Look, I am always with you. Remember that while others have called you servant, God has called you his friend. In the strength of that mighty friendship, go forth now and serve in the Master's name until we meet again. Amen.